It's a monument which is synonymous with France, a symbol of national pride visited every year by millions of people. The story of the Eiffel Tower, though, goes well beyond just a monument. Its very existence represents an architectural feat taken on by the man who gave it its name, Gustave Eiffel. This year marks 100 years since the engineer died. During his lifetime, Gustave Eiffel fought against all the odds to realise his dream, building a 300-metre-high iron tower in the heart of the French capital. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of France in Focus. Now, Paris simply wouldn't be Paris without it. Inaugurated in 1889, the Eiffel Tower took just over two years to complete. The project initially seemed impossible, but the sheer determination of Gustave Eiffel made it come to life. Well, in this edition, we look at the man behind the Eiffel Tower. Savan Yankman Eiffel, you are the great, great, great grandson of Gustave Eiffel. You're also the curator of this exhibition that we see behind us, commemorating 100 years since his death. I'd like to start talking about how this extraordinary project uh, got underway. The initial idea or the design, if you will, uh, didn't come from Gustave Eiffel, or, or did it? Well, Gustave Eiffel uh, designed lots of great projects himself, but he was also an entrepreneur. He was running his company. When the idea came to, to, uh, to try to make a 1,000 foot tower in Paris for the uh, 1889 exhibition, it's first two of his close collaborators, and especially Maurice Coquelin, who designed a first rough sketch of what will become the, the Eiffel Tower. And they came to show him this drawing. It was still very rough. It was called the 300 meter pylon. Um, and Gustave Eiffel was not very impressed. He didn't find how he could sell this idea to, uh, for, the, for the exhibition. Uh, they came back with uh, a refined design and now there were platforms that were added by an architect. Uh, there was also those, those arcs that are purely decorative and Gustave Eiffel saw the potential of the projects fully there and after that he really uh, put all his weight behind it. Uh, he financed it, he convinced uh, the state to, to uh, have the tower built and he uh, supervised the work himself. So that's why the, the tower, which at first was called the 300 meter uh, tower, uh, very quickly came to be called the Eiffel Tower. So it's interesting, Savan, because the idea itself came from a universal exhibition, but there was also a competition that came into play as well. Tell us more. Well, uh, there were other projects. Gustave Eiffel uh, was not the only one who wanted to, to, to uh, meet this, um, this challenge of building the f to be the first to build a 1,000-foot structure. Right. There were other projects, especially uh, Jules Bourdet, who had a, a rival tower, and Gustave Eiffel had to put all um, to convince um, the state that his tower was the only one who was physically going to stand and that he was the only one who could actually build it in time for the exposition. And there was, there was, there was a, a contest uh, which was uh, uh, designed a little bit in his favor to help him uh, win the project, I must say. But that's because the, um, uh, the state became to realize very quickly that his tower was the only one that, that could actually be built. In terms of public opinion, you know, this idea of this uh, 
tower, you know, towering over Paris. Mm -hmm. Was public opinion in favour of this? And if so, how did he, you know, manage to get people on his side? So I think the public opinion was not against the tower. Actually, Parisians came to see uh, as the work was progressing. Uh, it was a place where people could hang around, we come with a family, watch the, the construction. Like we're doing today. Absolutely. But uh, the people who were really against it were the establishment, especially the artists from L'Ecole des Beaux-Arts, who were very powerful at the time, architects, culture, painters, whose idea of beauty was very classic. And this structure made of iron, which was not seen as a noble material, right. which was a noble material for construction, was stone. So this was really a provocation for them. Uh, just like the Impressionists had, had changed the rules of, of painting, uh, here came this, this engineer who was going to change the rules of architecture, and, and they were fully against it, and they tried by all means to stop the construction. So here we are on the second floor of the Eiffel Tower. This project took two years, two months and five days to complete. What would you say was the biggest technical challenge? There was a wide area of challenges in this project, but certainly the biggest one was to join the four feet together. They were built separately and once Eiffel reached the first floor, he had to connect those four feet with long iron beams and they had to be perfectly horizontal, so uh, as they were going to serve for the rest of the construction, the basis for the rest of the construction. And that was very difficult. So he, uh, he and his engineers put in place a number of uh, technical instruments that lowered slightly or raised slightly each of the feet so that they, they ended up with that perfect connection. And once that was achieved, the rest wasn't a piece of cake, obviously, but at least they knew that they could complete the project in time. Now, the Eiffel Tower also posed a significant financial challenge. It cost twice as much it was, as it was supposed to. How did Gustave Ivel get round that? So, uh, at the beginning, it was, I think, around 3.5 million uh, French francs at the time. It ended up being 7 million. Uh, he received a small uh, grant from the government, for one thing, but most of the money he put up himself. He created a private company, so there's a few more investors, but most of the shares were bought by himself. So one can say he was totally confident that he would pull this project through. Gustave Eiffel raised the money to finance his tower largely thanks to the Panama Canal. When construction got off to a bad start, Eiffel was called in to help. The solution he found earned him a great deal of money. A few years later, Eiffel was criticised for getting rich from a project that saw others face financial ruin. Now, despite his success and international notoriety, Gustave Eiffel was nonetheless affected by the Panama scandal. Yes, uh, he was involved in spite of himself. Uh, he created, um, he made his company work for the canal, find technical solutions that the canal was missing, actually. So he almost uh, helped get the, the, the canal finally uh, completed, but because he made money out of uh, the work he did for the company, he was uh, he was an easy target uh, for the people who had lost a lot of their savings, and he was uh, uh, attracted into into this maelstrom, and he was very very affected by it. Uh, he was a patriot, and that that really hurt him a lot. And he actually he quit uh, working as an engineer after that, 
and he concentrated on his scientific work. So if you want to see the good side of it, we lost uh, an, an Eiffel engineer, but we, we gained an Eiffel scientist and he made a lot of great discoveries as well in that field. Withdrawn from his business interests, Eiffel knew that his masterpiece risked being destroyed if it didn't have a major scientific use. He came up with the idea of financing radio teletransmissions. During the First World War, the Eiffel Tower became the army's main antenna, and the question of destroying it was definitively put to bed. Gustave Eiffel then devoted himself to the study of his worst enemy, the wind. It's here in Paris's 16th arrondissement that he set up his laboratory, the Eiffel Wind Tunnel, where the force of the wind on objects is measured. So we're inside uh, the wind tunnel. I'm, I'm joined by Valentin Delplanc, who is uh, a PhD engineer here at the Eiffel Laboratory. Uh, this wind tunnel, Valentin, was built in uh, 1911. What concretely was it used for at the time? That's a really good question, actually. It was built mainly for the aviation field. Uh, Gustave Eiffel proposed to all engineers, researchers, and aviation constructors all around the world a facility to test their prototypes and models of planes before the First War. So essentially the Eiffel Tower was, you might say, the, the test bench for Gustave Eiffel. Yes, exactly. At the end of the construction, after the exposition, he needed the reason to keep the Eiffel Tower. So he used it as a scientific uh, purpose. So for meteorology and uh, for radio and also for aerodynamics. So he started uh, with this uh, balance uh, to test objects and uh, then he built under the Eiffel Tower in uh, 1909, uh, the first wind tunnel. And, uh, and then in uh, 1909, he didn't have the permission anymore to use the wind tunnel. So he moved here and built a more powerful and uh, bigger and with better control of the flow fluid. Here's this uh, wind tunnel. In many senses, we could say that Gustave Eiffel was a pioneer in aerodynamics. Exactly. It is quite unknown from the public, and he was mainly a pioneer for the aviation field. Wind tunnels already existed at this time in Germany or in England, but it was the first time to manage to reach uh, these speeds, about 100 km per hour, for such big models. And also, he was the first time to understand that they could access better results by aspirating around the model and not by blowing on them. So it's fair to say then that the legacy of Gustave Eiffel is alive and well. Yes, we are still using his wind tunnel as he built it uh, 100 years ago and actually it's still competitive with wind tunnels that exist now. Thank you very much for showing us around today. It's much appreciated. Uh, thank you for you at home for tuning into another episode of our France In Focus show. We'll see you at the same time next week. Special events. In 2023, the passion for rugby is resonating throughout France. Solidarity. 
discipline, respect, integrity. Together, let's share the values of the sport. From September 8th to October 28th, follow the Rugby World Cup on France 24 and France24.com. Follow our international journalist on France 24. Douglas Herbert, Angela Diffley, Robert Parsons, Philip Turl, and Armand Georgian. From the newsroom to the studio or live on air, they are on standby 24-7 to analyze world events. Whether tackling historic, geopolitical, economic or environmental issues, our experts get to the heart of the biggest international news stories. They contribute to our special reports and scour the headlines for information. Follow it live. Follow the news. Follow France 24. Liberté, égalité, actualité.